the fourth record, uh, we're all in this together. You know, this one, um, I'm not sure if it was your top selling record. It might've, might've been, but it was the one that got me, Scott Goldfine mm -hmm, into chocolate mm -hmm. milk because mm -hmm. it came out when I was in high school and mm -hmm. out here in Los Angeles where I grew up, I'm in Charlotte now, but mm -hmm, I grew up mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, black radio there was all over this. I mean, girl calling yeah. was huge and, right. um, right, grand right. theft too. Um, Mm -hmm. So tell me about well, the making of that record and how it was received well, and that whole experience with that record for you. Well, well, let me let me take it back just a little bit back to the album with Chocolate Milk with the with the with the, the space lady on it. Uh, there was a song, not only Groove City, but there was a song called Say Won't You. And Say Won't You is one of the songs, again, that I had penned. And, and I always wanted to incorporate what we usually say because a lot of times in new orleans you know th there's always that saying they say you know down down south they always say let's go make groceries and um and and that's a slang let's go make groceries but during the time when french was were french i mean that's how they spoke when they spoke english because that's what it meant but but it had different meanings connotations to it so we usually say yeah did you go make groceries and everybody start laughing so we when i had say won't you that's kind of how we talked we like yeah say won't you hey say won't you now man won't you and then that got to got to be the thing so that was a big hit but it was a big hit on the east coast mm -hmm. all right and so since it was a big hit on the east of that washington dc all of them was playing at the time there was uh the guy from dc uh gosh the funk band um oh gosh um i'm looking right at but uh Give me a hint. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to. I'm try, uh, the butt. Your the butt. Uh, oh, uh, your butt. EU. Your butt. Your bit. Yeah. Uh, you almost hit it. Uh, um, it's EU. EU. What's it? EU. Yeah. Yeah. EU. Your butt. Yeah. From the spike. You and the butt. Yeah. That that man. I don't know if that was E. Okay. I thought it was somebody. But well, that but was from the eighties. Doing the butt. The eighties though. Yeah, but 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 doing the butt again, right? Well, it was earth, but it, we had we had done say won't you before then, but that was the that was the market. They like that kind of a funk, and so for some reason, the the West Coast, LA, didn't get into it. Again, like I'm going back to RCA as far as marketing and promotion is what it is, but the East Coast loved say won't you. And so Say Won't You did really well, didn't do, it wasn't our highest one, but it did really well. And when it did really well, um, Say Won't You, it opened up a lot of eyes. So then Alan Toussaint said, okay, uh, I, I'm going to come and sit with you for six months. I'm going to actually sit in the studio with you. And that's when he actually did that. So when he actually came in and did that, he came up with Girl Calling. But it was only because, say, won't you? I'm setting it up because that album before, we told Alan, I told Alan, I said, look, your studio is not getting it. I heard the Commodores. I, I, I played it for him. I put the Commodores on. It was actually Brick House at the time. And I put Brick House on. I said, do you hear them drums? Do you hear them? And he said, he made a comment and he said, yeah, but a good song is a good song. It doesn't matter how it sounds or where it is. If it's a good song, it's going to be a hit no matter what. And I challenged him with that. And I said, not in this world, not, not here. And, and so I was looking for what, the, what Motown had 
with the with the Commodores because their sound was crazy. Because we were on, so what what Alan didn't get is that we were actually on tour with these people. We were we were with them, and we knew what they could play, and we knew what they were, and, and we they didn't sound on on the studio like they sound on the stage. They just didn't have that sound. And so, but they were good because they had hit records. So it, it, it still worked, but, and that's what I was trying to come, it couldn't get it. But anyway, we went and left anyway. So when we left anyway, we went to Total Experience Studio. The guy, Lonnie Simmons at the time, he had that and he wanted to man, he wanted to take us over like, like he did the, the Gap Band and all that, but we heard bad things about it. But he wanted to take us over. That they had the Gap Band. They had, uh, I can go. So we we met uh, Jeffrey Osborne. Everybody came out of that twist with Michael, the Jacksons. All of them were there when we were coming there. So anyway, we did that album. And when we did that album, and the say, "Won't you did so well?" It was then that he said, "Oh, okay, I'm going. I'm gonna. I'm gonna come in finally." And so that led to where Girl Calling was. So Girl Calling got big. The opposite way, instead of on the East Coast, it got big on the West Coast. The difference is, though, the West Coast got way more pull than the East Coast. The disc jockeys, that's way, you know, like I said, you didn't know about Say Won't You, but if Say Won't You would have been on the West Coast, like, like Girl Calling, that would have been, been phenomenally big because I wrote that song. The, 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 the one that uh, a girl calling Alan Toussaint wrote that song. Well, although we did all arrangements to it, but he 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 wrote that song. So again, it went on the West Coast, and every celebrity knew that song. Everybody, Lavar Burton at the time when Roots were out, we met Lavar Burton, and he, I couldn't believe how he, I was a a fan of his, and he was like on his knees with me, and I was like, what 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 what's going on? I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe what was happening. I was kind of starstruck when that happened because it was what it was. People, Bryson, all of those were out on concert. We were headlining over them and on the West Coast. Everything, when we go to the big record signings, they had yeah, the a beautiful thing about A beautiful thing about that one, Frank, is so, I, I mean, I believe you were sounding like Frank Richard on that one. You weren't right. sounding like right. somebody else. Exactly, right. So that right. was a well, beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was beautiful at, because... Here's the deal. Um, at the time, Alan Toussaint was intimidated. As, as, as big artists are, everybody has their own uh, complexes that they deal with. And he knew I could sing. And he knew that deep down, he knew he can't really sing. But he was a guy that was trying to coach me how to sing. And he couldn't pull it off himself. And so that was a difficult, that was a pull between us, the, the big pull. The big pull between us was that. I didn't touch the piano because I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to challenge him on the piano. So a lot of people re at that time really didn't know I could play piano because that wasn't, there were so many other people that could do that. But vocally, I knew I could, I could, I could go with anybody vocally. So when he would tell me what to sing and how to sing it, I was singing and I would sing it better. And then he would walk away. And so I had to deal with a lot of that kind of thing playing out and this. So he used to teach me how to sing the girl calling and where to sing it. 
And because we were going at it so much, I defied him more. So I tried to be more me than to try to be him. And so that's how it came off to be that. In fact, well, if, if that out. makes any sense there, yeah, that's how, how God works. It worked that out because, again, that was a good thing that we defied because I, I, I decided to be me and not be him. And he wanted me to sing it a certain way. He wanted me to do it. And, and I refused because I had an ego about me. And, and that was the problem. You know, I was like, you know, I'm better than you. So why are you trying? And so that, that was the, as a young kid, that's how you, uh, and I was young and that's, that's how it came off, you know? So, but anyway, girl calling came out big and, and I had to, there was a little, a yodel in there that, um, that I also put in there and, and I had to fight him on that because he, um, he was like, uh, no, I don't think you ought to do that. And that was the ego of him telling me what I should do. But when I did it for he told me, demonstrate it. And so when I demonstrated it for him, he was like, you know, I went, and he was like, wow, do that again. And I did, and then he was like, oh, okay. All right, well, we'll see how that works. And so, and we put that on and, and, and I, I had kids trying to sing that when we would go to concerts the whole time. I mean, it was one of those things that kind of helped pull it in. Um, but he was the orchestrator of the, uh, the sound that we had where I was actually singing horn parts. So I was, so while they were playing their horns, I was singing the horn parts to it. So when Joe was playing, da, 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 I would say, I wouldn't change it along with the, the horn part. And, and that was different, the way we were doing it. And so that kind of set it, set it different. I think that's what the West Coast really liked about the idea. All of it, I'm sure. But uh, I was actually singing jazz licks against the funk. With I, th I think also the West Coast was just always a little more attuned to the uh, slower tempo funk. Um, yeah. That's yeah, why, because yeah. gangster rap hit in here, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. more in the slow kind of laid back groove, you know, right, right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rather, New York had the disco came out of there. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You're so true, so right on that. You, we were different. It was, I think that was the thing, it was different, you know, and had that slow funk about it. But in fact, if I can remember correctly, after because uh, everybody in LA was loving this song. I mean, they was making us live out there. So won't y'all come live out here? And we went back to New Orleans, which we should have stayed. But but uh, that that was the thing. I mean, everybody loved that song. And so I think what what happened when we when we did that, um, we went to Total because we had finished Total Experience. We went to visit Total Experience, and the Gap Band was there. And they had a song, uh, Shake Your Booty. And it was, dun, 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 dun. was like dun, first dun. hit, yeah. And it, but it had that, dun, 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 dun. And I said, wait, y'all stole our groove. Like, really? <laughs> y'all yeah. stole our Explore groove. Funk and then, also, yeah. Right. And then later on was a faster version of that, a little faster version of that called Ladies Night with the cool in the gang. And they had, dun, 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 with the piano going through the whole thing. Because that's what we, we had that piano going like a train through the whole record just constantly doing that and and everybody kind of picked up on that and took it to another level every every time every time i heard another record that's what i heard 
So I, we kind of opened that door. I got a few other points I want to mention about this record too, though. Yeah. Um, maybe part of being of RCA and that whole thing you were saying where it wasn't a great fit. How could right. Grand Theft was not a single? How could that not have been a single? You know how much airplay that got on the West Coast, at least? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of Grand Theft um, airplay, but I was aware of when we played Grand Theft on the concert, when we did the Peebo Bryson concert, we, it was actually, we were over Peebo Bryson, but when we did that, we played Grand Theft and people went crazy over it. And, you know, I knew we had something. Before then, I knew we had something, but that was just proof that we did. It's just that with the RCA, we had problems of that. And in all fairness of the world, the world that we live in is to, today, the record companies, especially at that time, played a lot of musical chairs. Now, you'd have somebody who really believed in you and who loved you and who said, you know what? Hey, I got you. We're going to market this. We're going to go this. I, I came up with the doubloons and put the doubloons on the album and the whole bit. And he said, yeah, we're going with that. And then the next day, they weren't there. And I said, who are you, Elliot Horn? And he said, yeah, no, I'm not Elliot Horn. I'm John Days. Uh, you know, so this is, uh, I'm now your new um, marketing man. And I was like, well, where was the L? Well, he's not with us anymore. Mm -hmm. And then the, the next week, he would be gone. So we had musical chairs going along uh, what we call uh, uh, in, the, in the company itself, RCA. So we had to make friends with people all over again, and they had to sell us. We had to sell them on us as we, we went. It wasn't like the players in, in Earth, Wind & Fire. Like I remember, they had, they, had a file, they had a big team machine. It wasn't until these people died. I mean, you know. It, it's funny because, you know, I look at a, a group like Chocolate Milk, and I say, wow, the whole catalog was on RCA. That's great continuity. They were fortunate to be able mm -hmm. to have one mm -hmm. label as home and not have mm -hmm. to move all around. That's and true. It's been a good thing, but it seems like it wasn't. Yeah, it, that that was the downfall of it all. Like I said, it was just a lot of. Uh, we came in a time where people were getting fired from that company, um, left and right, or fired or leaving or whatever. The but we were never. It was never stable, and and because I, and that could have been largely because they didn't know what to do with a funk group. Uh, it could have been largely that some other things were people were doing something with the money and the kickbacks and the da 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 das and we can go on and on. It could be a lot of all of those things, but the the fact remains is that we didn't have anybody that was solid in our corner to really push those records and run it to the markets and the radio stations that they needed to run them to. And so yeah, they got lost in the mix. So you, like you said, Grand Theft was a big record when we played it. Everybody loved it. Put your hands the, the, up. The, the biggest, the biggest crime, the grand theft, was it wasn't a single. <laughs> right, right. And like I said, that was the people that was dropping the balls. They were choosing the singles, and we didn't have anybody to push us when we said we needed to have that because we we thought grand theft was a big record when we when we actually recorded. As soon as we recorded, we thought it was going to be big. Of course, um, of course. The flip side of that is it probably helped you sell more albums. So, yeah, it did. It it it, it did help us sell more. Um. um I'm not. I'm not unhappy with the situation. I just, you know, I just know what it was uh, during that time, and uh, you just wonder what it could have been. Right. Uh, but that that girl calling was like huge. I mean, every movie store knew that record, and I was like, I, I didn't envision that. I didn't. So when I got there, I didn't realize. I know we'd have fans, but I didn't know that the celebrities were 
fans like that. And so that that was hum quite humbling for me when I saw people, Denzel Washington and people like, like that say, wow, yeah, uh, girl calling, you know, that kind of thing. And like, you know, wow, you know, you know, what y'all need and that, that kind of thing. And so there, it was very, it was very humbling. Um, yeah, well, I loved and, it. And I, I have a couple more uh, comments or questions about this record, uh, Frank. Yeah. One is um, the title track had sort of, a, to me, like a Temptations kind of vibe. Was that mm -hmm. something? I think, I think uh, 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 I've always felt that, but I think um, Alan Toussaint, coming from the era where he came from, because he was still older than us. And so right around that beginning of Motown, he really was into the Marvin Gaye kind of thing. So if you hear that, ooh, baby, when you listen to that, ooh, anything falsetto like that, it reminds me of Marvin Gaye. And I'm telling you that when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, listening to How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, Ain't It Peculiar by Marvin Gaye, I was listening to that sound. So it was so when he was giving me, you know, why don't you do a ooh here, da, 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 that was the things that were coming through my head, through my record. And since I could re recall them almost like a library in my mind, I could recall them and pull them up. He was fascinated and loved it because he remembered it also. So, so you didn't have he that did connection. not. Yeah. So he didn't. He didn't. We wasn't at odds at that. I came up with the, you know, ooh baby. And so he just kept on, you know, and saying, "Do this one, ooh sugar, sugar." So the sugar came from the Marvin Gaye kind of how how Marvin would say sugar. Mm -hmm. um, um, I know that came from it. He don't have to tell me that. I know that came from that because I remember those records. And so, uh, and I don't think that was a coincidence. But uh, again, yeah, that was a feel. Uh, uh, we had a little bit of, of uh, a lot of other people, especially like you say on that bridge. That bridge reminded me of Marvin Gaye. It kind of reminded me. And, and we did a lot of the falsetto thing. I call to you. All of that was kind of part of the, the, the Motown kind of thing, right. you know, Betty right. Kendricks. Mm -hmm. um, Over the Rainbow is not the um, Eddie Kendrick. Of Oz song, but it's a nice yeah. song on there. Yeah, that's Eddie Kendricks too. I mean, we had, I, used to, I did, I kind of did both sides of it. I kind of thought about um, the, the Temptations, um, uh, uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Edwards. Uh, how he would probably do it in a, in a lead vocalist voice of a group, and then how Eddie Kendricks would sing it, but my own twist on each one of them. So I did over the rainbow, over the rainbow. Something I think that uh, 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 a falsetto guy of a group would sing, and I always thought about like Eddie Kendricks doing that kind of thing. So that's kind of where that that and, and maybe a little Earth Wind and Fire attitude of. Uh, Philip Bailey, but more that that first strong voice was was kind of like a Dennis Edwards kind of a, a preaching kind of a, a singing a part on that, you right, know. Right. But uh, yeah, that's that was how, the intent of writing that particular song, uh, "Over the Rainbow," you know. Yeah. This this record, and maybe it's because of Alan Toussaint's involvement, but it seemed like in the title. And some of the other tracks, it was a little more political, maybe, in its lyrical uh, 
content than some of the other records. Where where did you and Chocolate Milk fall in terms of you know the lyrical content and wanting to be political or wanting to be more about love or what more about sex or whatever? Mm-hmm. What what album you said again? What album you thought that was? We're all in this together. Um, you know the covers holding the earth and when when. Uh... When when we finally con- convinced Alan to come in the studio with us, uh, we had a concept of what where do we go? What, you know what you want to make this album about? Da 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 da. We had a conference, a meeting, and a whole bit, and uh, and we just said, well, Alan, really and truly, we all came up to the conclusion, man, man, this world is just going too fast. I mean, it's a it's a fast, fast world, you know, and so. Um, so Alan said, yeah, well, maybe we ought to write something about a fast world, you know, how fast the world is, you know. And then we kept talking and talking. Somebody came up with it. I don't remember, but somebody came up with it and said, well, why, you, why don't we just come up with slowing, slowing the world down? Why don't we just slow the world down? And they said, wow, that's a great, let's go with that concept, slow the world down. And so we had to write now a song that says slow the world down. Because we went with the market. We had a big seating. We sat with RCA. We sat with everybody, came with the concept, slow the world down. And everybody said, oh, that's a great idea. Da, 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 da. So this is what we're going to do with the world. And we're going to put the hands on the world like we're trying to slow the world down and da, 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 and the whole bit. And so they looked at the forms and all of that. And we did, I will kid you not, we did 633 cuts of slow the world down. I was on the studio on the ground trying to, you know, and it just was not working. We did 633 takes of that and it just wasn't working. And so we finally say, you know, it's just not as good as we would like it to be. It's just not. And so um, Alan wrote another song and he wrote another song and the song was called We're All In This Together. And at the time, we didn't know anything. We just went at the song. So we went at the song. We're all in this together. And it started to gel. And it had a little bit of second line in it in the end. And the da 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 And it had a little New Orleans sound to it. And then we kind of liked it. And then we say, wow, you know what? This could be the, the title of the album. We're all in this together. And then everybody said, RCA said, well, how? we already did the did the album cover to slow the world down. Y'all told us slow the world down and now you're doing we're all in this together. And then somebody came up with the concept and said, well, it still could be that. Like the hands could not mean slow the world down. The hands could mean we're all in this together. And so that's kind of how the concept went. The only thing they had to do was take the, uh, take the skid marks off of it because it, it the world was turning and, and they had the hands on it and they had sparks flying from the hands and the, the whole thing like slowing the world down. But uh, since we had we're all in this together, they took the sparks out of that and, and tried to, you know, look at look, make it look like we're all in this together. So we kept the hands on it and that's how it came about. It looks like a giant's about to shoot a free throw shot with it. Yeah, it sure <laughs> does. It sure does. Holy it's up nowadays they do it with one hand. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's so true. That's a really interesting backstory. And that's the kind of uh, great stories that uh, we really mm-hmm. appreciate on Truth and Rhythm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, I also want to ask you, Frank, you know, can you talk a little bit about the 
creative process of chocolate milk as an entity, aside from, you know, Alan Toussaint, how did you guys in general uh, put together your songs and, and, and create and, and how much did you guys rehearse and do that kind of stuff? Well, we did it in different ways. When we first, when we first started rec recording or when we first started writing, actually, uh, we were, like I said, again, we were in a club, Club Horse, and the other one was Club, uh, we call it Club 77. Um, as every time we had a rehearsal and we'd have a day rehearsal before we actually uh, started performing that night, at the rehearsal, we perform songs like Herbie Hancock and da-da-da-da and da-da-da-da and da-da-da-da. And then we do them. And after we perform them, because we were so good at what we did, we had gotten so tight that we'd do a Herbie Hancock, but then we put a twist on it. After we get everybody on the dance floor, we put a twist on it and we start making up as we go. And, 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 and we would watch the crowd, how, how they would scream and holler and get more involved every time we come up with something. So we would take that to the rehearsals and we would make that what we would make that. Um, and that's kind of how that would go about. So the only thing that we would have to add would be a lot of uh, lyric writing. So we would have to mean, come up with a concept of like a lot of lyric writing, but a lot of the songs were already uh, pretty much in place based off of the songs that we were uh, uh, using. Uh, you know, playing. And so Ohio player song, uh, uh, like I said, Herbie Hancock or Irwin Fire, anybody we were playing, we always knew, we never did them exactly like the record. We do it exactly like the record to get them on the floor. And once we got them on the floor, then we, we went to another space. We just start funking in, in another way. And, and, and people started the, liking it. What about the arrangements? Did you uh, tinker around with those much in the studio? Uh, um, we did do some things in the studio. Most of it, though, was always done at the rehearsals. We we just do them at the rehearsals. Well, when we got to the actual studio to record it, sometimes we'd, we'd, we'd try it, and sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't work in the studio. Uh, sometimes we added more, and we did more, and we thought of ideas, and we put them in. But for the most part, um, we did them uh, during that time. We did them simply from the club it just was coming from it just was coming from from god as we were saying it just was coming it just just came to us in rehearsals every could come and we would be on board and we catch it like action speaks louder than words it was a saying during that time and saying you know say action speaks louder than words and what the president was doing and this wasn't doing that and we just wrote down exactly what what people were actually saying and and how they were feeling and we just put it to to, to that music and that was kind of a takeoff to the slow funk that we were we were talking about in girl calling. It was slow. It was a slow kind of funk. And in fact, um, in fact, we were criticizing our own selves because we say our music is too too laid back. We, you know, everybody else is playing up. To, we should be up there with everybody else, and we we playing too slow. The drummer is too. You know, you two laid back drummer. We need to get another drummer, and da 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 da. We was going through the whole the whole ritual, and not realizing that 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 was our signature, and 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 uh, for a long time that was the the deal. Even though we were telling us to pick up the tempo, Dwight would still go back into his his feel good play, well, and that's kind of what that was. You know? I, 
I, I don't know how you'll feel about this, but um, you know, to be honest, you, know, you talk about messing with the tempo and the um, Milky Way record, which you mentioned a couple times before, and had mm -hmm. Say and also Groove City, which was a, a big local hit. Um, mm -hmm. Overall, though, that record definitely showed more uh, disco influence than the group. And I think um, mm -hmm. the record itself was was arguably the lightest on funk of all the Chocolate Milk records. So what's your take on that? Oh, I don't know. Tell me again, because I'm, I'm, I'm just getting this. So, you, you're saying what songs? No, I'm saying the Milky Way album. The Milky Way album. Okay, got it. Was was uh, disco influenced and had the mm -hmm. least amount of funk on it. Right, right. Um, I'm going to take you back again, just to, from the time we had the meeting with Alan Toussaint. Because when we had the meeting with Alan Toussaint, um, we were talking about doing the Milky Way album and a whole bit. And he wanted us to do, he heard Groove City, he loved it. But he wanted it to do it in uh, in New Orleans, and he said, "Since it's a New Orleans song, you should be doing it here with the, with me." And da 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 da. And I say, "But I don't like the sound here. I don't uh, the engineers. They da 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 da." And he got he took offense to it. All right, and so he took offense to it, and then he, but he but he consented to it. He said, uh, "Well, if that's what y'all want to do, I feel like I'm a." He said, "I feel like I'm a general who has lost his army." Yeah. That's what he told us. And he said, you know what? Uh, if that's what y'all want to do, y'all go ahead and do it. So we made arrangements. We took the plane, got the plane, got the hotel. Da, 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 da. We got there. And no Alan Toussaint. Next day, no Alan Toussaint. So we say, you know what, guys? We're going to have to produce this album ourselves. We're going to have to do this ourselves. We're going to have to show them. So we went to the studio. And I met Bob Hughes, and Bob Hughes was a great engineer there at uh, Total Experience. He told me about the room that they had in the back, that vocal room that actually had that echo, that certain kind of presence that we didn't know anything about. And so uh, it, was, it, was in, it was enormous. So we was just like learning the studio all over again in the Total Experience. And we, we were learning as we go, and we had the people there as we go. So that kind of led to uh, the light funk because first of all, we weren't in our home, home, we were in LA and we were in LA and the, they knew about funk, but they didn't know it how we did it. So we were learning each other. And because we were learning from each other, you know, we got what we got. They knew about girl calling and all. In fact, that's the, they wanted to do another girl calling record type. That's what they wanted to do. And, I just didn't feel at the time, I was just so disappointed in Alan Toussaint. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And mm -hmm. so I didn't even want to write a song near to what he had before. So all the records that, uh, songs that we, we came up with were songs that were different from, from that in my mind. But at the same time, it was relative to LTD and Gap. Everybody that came through the total experience, it was kind of that. So when you listen to uh, You Are The One, You Are The One, that was Girl Calling. But then we had another one that said on there, uh, you're the one, anywhere you want, you're the one. And that You're The One record, um, 
You smile and smile and make me smile. But that the, the attitude I sang in that came from from uh, Jeffrey Osborne kind of take. And so because they were familiar with that, that's what I went with because we were just learning each other. And because we were learning each other, that's kind of how that came about. And during that time, um, we just wanted to make a real good ballad. There was another ballad called Hurry Down Sunset, which never really uh, took off or did anything. But Hurry Down Sunset was a great song to me. And I really liked that song. So I didn't want to replace it with a funk song. There was a funk song we had. And, and actually, we wound up putting it on the, on the other album when we got to Alan Jones. But there was a funk song that we actually did there. And that was... Uh, uh, shake your body, uh, shake your body, baby. I was gonna do shake your body, and uh, but I like that song, so we knocked that one out and put hurry down sunset on it, and it, it backfired. A lot of people didn't didn't get into that one as much as uh, you know I had hoped, but uh, but that's kind of what happened. What happened in in, in L.A. is that uh, we had so much turmoil going on that we kind of strayed away from what girl calling was. And um, I didn't go back. I didn't go back to that until the album when we went to Studio City in LA. And when we went to Studio City in LA, we got with George Tobin because, again, like I told you, RCA kept having these musical chairs going on, and we had uh, a now a, a Caucasian group of people who were trying to do funk in the A and R because they didn't have anybody there. So mm -hmm. they say, you know what? what you guys need, y'all need a crossover hit. Yo, you guys need to go see George Tobin. He's the guy that did Sad Eyes. Have you heard the Sad Eyes? And at the time I said, yeah, I heard it, but you know, uh, so now I'm, trust me, that's where y'all should go. Cause he did for, uh, for um, uh, Smokey Robinson and, you know, George Tobin did this and did that and da, 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 da. And so we went to Studio City to George Tobin where we met Mike Pizzarella guitar and these guys you know had a great sound there over there too they had a great sound but uh, they um and and they 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 wanted to put that funk but they came in with the la kind of funk again and that that's again what they heard they heard a lot of uh, like we were talking about before uh uh larry graham and all of that so hypnotism came uh about and when hypnotism came, they wrote hypnotism, that, uh, Pizzarella and Josh Tober, not so much, but his little team, they wrote hypnotism and they had this bass on it. And the bass guy wasn't our guy. They got somebody from L.A. and I forgot his that, name. But that, tra that track actually kind of reminds me of uh, Ladies Night by Cool in the Game. That's the hypnotism, right. And that's where the hypnotism, you got it. It came across, and that's the kind of feel. Great record. We sounded really good with it, but that's kind of where we were going. And then at the time, uh, like I said, I had, I had uh, got over that, that animosity with, with, with Alan Toussaint, and so I, I came up with uh, another song similar to that, and that was called Hey Lover. And Hey Lover was um, uh, with the horns, a play on the horns and vocals. You know, give me the love, they lover. And I was actually singing that with that. So that was kind of like a takeoff from the girl calling in the funk. 
So yeah, that was that, bring that. That yeah. that one had the funk, but it also had a radio ready kind of sound to it to me. Right. And 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 I'm I'm gonna tell you when we talk about RCA records again, that's what I'm saying. That the guys that did that put the team together to get us with George Tobin. That's what they were looking for, a radio type uh sound to get going. That's why we came up with I'm Your Radio. I mean, it was a lot of songs that we came up with, which were great songs. I really liked them. I'm your radio, turn me on. And it had a lot of the uh uh the way they did it, turning the stations on it, like you're changing your station and you're going to I'm your radio. So they had great ideas. I thought it would be great for for airplay of it. It's just that I think the signs of the times are what it up is. You know, there's a lot of uh I mean, we can go on and on about racism and what that is, but uh, uh, sometimes a lot of t if you if they see who you are, and they try to relate you to pop radio or whatever, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't really, you know, I'm not feeling that, and so we don't get that play. Uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Again, like I said, that could have been all of RCA's promotion. It could have been not, it could have been something different, but it is what it is. That album was a great album. We did really well with it uh, for the work that was put into it. And Josh Tobin did, you know, he's, he's a, he was a, a, a very egotistical man. He took a lot of the money, and he is what he is. But at the same time, uh, we learned a lot, and we got a lot from it. And I, and I, and I don't regret not going to Studio City. Uh, we did have a great sound, especially for my voice. I love, I love my voice there. And then, uh, so they were able to experiment. We, we did a, a song that would, would be a, a, a cut between, um, uh, uh, gosh, that's nostalgia sing. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, chances are, uh, uh, Johnny Mathis. John, Johnny, uh, a cut between Johnny Mathis and maybe uh, uh, Nat King Cole. Uh, forever in a day, and so I did a song called "Forever in a Day," which gave another kind of highlight to me for that. But again, it didn't get a lot of plays. So. It also brings uh, to mind "Always and Forever" Heatwave. That's right. That's right. Always and forever. Right. Yeah. Except it didn't. It didn't. It didn't come over big like that. But yeah. but that was the intent, and so we had that. But also, we also wanted to do experimental things with the during that time. So we also wanted to do some hard rock stuff. So since we were on that pop category and we used to do it as a as when we were young, when we were we were traveling all over the place. And when we were young, we were playing, like I said, we were playing the um, America song and Chicago was out there. So we were doing those kinds of songs. We were doing that. So this was not new. So I wrote a song called Would It Be All Right to Call? And it sounded like one of those uh, uh, rock songs. And so we did that. And, and then we had, uh, would it be all right to call? And then we, we did, then we went back to the funk. We did a song called Showdown. And Showdown had like a little James Brown kind of funk to it. But that was kind of, we were all over the place because we were um, trying to find that identity where, where we were fighting with RCA. They wanted us to sound like a radio ready kind of. Uh, uh, band with a pop sound. Yeah, I got. I got to mention, uh, Frank, that mm -hmm. this was 1980, and I mean, yeah. most of the yeah. bands, most of the uh, R&B black bands, were uh, going through mm -hmm. similar mm -hmm. things wherever yeah. they were yeah. at that time. That's right. Uh, That's right. That's right. Yeah. Boogie Wonderland, disco. I mean, it was it was like that. Everybody was going was going through it. Um, it's just that uh, 
like I said, again, Earth, Wind, and Fire had that machine behind them that, uh, that kind of helped put that through that. But they were going through that same thing. I remember when they were saying, like, ooh, Boogie Wonderland. You know, like, what? That's not us. Like, you know. And they were like, you know, Boogie Wonderland is like a, a, a disco and this, the world is in a disco and now we got to do the Boogie Wonderland. And it wound up being big for them. But um, you never know how, you, how things are going to go. Um, but that was the thing. I, they wouldn't have done Boogie Wonderland had not the world was going in that direction. And everybody was trying to capitalize on that. You're right. I, I want to mention a couple of things about two songs we've talked about. Groove City. Um, I felt some Earth, Wind & Fire vibe in that. I don't know if you agree with that. I, but I agree with it because uh, only because I agree with it because um, I get the same feedback from everybody else, you know, because uh, a lot of people know us, but a lot of people don't. And uh, someone, I, they said, well, what was the song you did? I said, it's a song called Groove City. And then, and then they say, Groove City? You, you sure that's Chocolate Milk, Groove City? I thought, I thought that was an Earth, Wind & Fire song. I said, no, no, it's a Chocolate Milk song. But They're from Chicago. So, yeah, there you go. There Windy you go. City, is there a song? Yeah, so that was a lot of people giving me that feedback, you know, that. Uh, but um, I actually wrote that song, to, to be honest, when I wrote that song, I actually wrote that song after I saw Heat Wave perform. Heat Wave... Oh Heatwave performed in Baton Rouge, and I went to that concert. And uh, I actually went for uh, Always and Forever because I wanted to see how the lead singer Johnny Wilder worked the crowd. Johnny Wilder, I wanted to see how he worked the crowd, the crowd at the time for uh, uh, Always and Forever. And they wound up playing uh, their hit song uh, Groove. They, they they came out with Groove Line. Yeah. And, and on the groove line. And I, I was fascinated with the groove line. And I, I was fascinated how the crowd was singing groove with the groove line. And so when I went back home, I said, I want to write a song with groove in it. And, but, it but I wanted to make sure that it makes sense in the whole bit. And, and, and when I got back home, actually, when we got back into the clubs, a lot of people were saying groovy and groove and this, we're in the groove and it was groove and, and, and it just meant that, you know, you're in the right place. It meant you're in the right spot. And that's why One Nation Under Groove too, was a big hit. One Nation Under Groove. It, that, that, was the, that was the time. And so yeah. when I heard that, that's what I came up with, with Groove City. So when I wrote that, but I originally got it from Heatwave. Huh. Uh, Interesting. The, the Templeton, yeah. Mm -hmm. The other track we've been talking a lot about, Frank, the um, Say Won't You. Um, that one to me, I hear a little bit of like Blackbirds Rock Creek Park kind of thing in there. I don't know. Wow, you know, now that's that's interesting because we did that too, and I just don't, I didn't, I didn't remember that. But we we also did uh, Donald Bird and the Blackbirds. We did a tour with them and um, Osmosis. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, but I and I used to like that doing it in the park, doing it after dark. Oh yeah, but we did that, and so uh, now that you mention that, that that definitely could have been influenced because we were influenced by everybody we went out with. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. we 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 went out with, we were influenced by them all. All, all the and bands were that, they were doing that, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Daz Band, all of them. You know, we yeah. were doing that. Uh, Whip it. 
during that time, that was the that was the time. And then, you know, like I said, we haven't gotten to yet the later years of Grandmaster Flash. We had to fight with the the rappers because we had Definitely. at the time I wasn't into that. And so um but that was the end thing. And so we had to figure it out. And and so uh, we were on tour with them and and we were putting everything we could on stage and people were not feeling us. They were feeling those rappers. They were feeling Grandmaster Flash the whole time. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the only time that I could remember that we didn't feel like we were killing it on stage like we used to kill it. Uh, we, we were like not there. 